two zip codes uh, of Boston, and in those particular zip codes, it's mainly white. It's it's it used to be like almost entirely uh, Irish working class, and then a lot of students uh, have been moving in because of the two universities near here, and and you know there's some wealthy people buying these luxury condominiums and and rentals and so forth. So there's the, you know there's a mix in the population, but it's still largely mainly what you would call white working class. And when I am on the street and I say to people I'm collecting signatures about getting more affordable, not just luxury housing built, the kind of people who respond to that are the working class people of the city and and some, you know, middle class people like, you know, occasional college professor, high school teacher, things like that. Um, those are the people that respond. And then when I ask them to read the statement that, that says the title of it is No Rich and No Poor, and it says that our larger goal is removing the rich from power to have real not fake democracy with no rich and no poor, about 90% of them say, sure, where do I sign? The idea of having no rich and no poor, this is my point, is wildly popular, although hardly ever expressed. But when it is expressed, it's wildly popular among the majority of the population that is working class. So the the way to have it be no rich and no poor requires elucidation and discussion and, and so forth, obviously. And I think egalitarianism is, is the way to, to do it, you know. Um, the, the economic principle of from each according to reasonable ability to each according to need or reasonable desire is the way to do it. And when people read those words and hear them, you know, they nod in approval. So I think that, the, that the, what's missing in terms of building a movement to replace capitalism is, is people with enough confidence to articulate what, what should replace it and to say, you know, a movement based on from each according to ability and so forth. And, you know, no rich and no poor can be done this way and so forth. And it can be democratic this way. There, there, there needs to be a massive public conversation about how we want society to be. And it's not enough to say, you know, we, we don't like capitalism and we don't like this and we don't like that. That It takes the vision of what we what we do want it to be. Yeah, but don't they do, but, but isn't there uh, a replacement for that? I mean, isn't working co-ops a replacement for capitalism? Because that's no, because, democratic. That is no, democratic. Because, wor- because working co-ops are based, like Mondragon in Spain is the most famous one. That's right. A, a big section of which went bankrupt a number of years ago. It's, okay. it's a money, it's a, it's a profit-based system. It, it, it produces things to sell in the market to make a profit. You know, that, that, it, it is not a, based on a vision of society in which from each according to ability to each according but, to need. It definitely John, I, I love your, John, I love your ideas. I really do. But I just... Because people, for the most part, are very simplistic, and finances for them is is uh, something that they find absolutely boring. And I'm just saying, if they can, if we can replace it with something that they can relate to, 
then eventually we can graduate over to what you're what you're saying. And I I see it. I see it. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people lot don't. Of people, they they can't see past that. Go ahead, Heimel. A lot of a, a lot of people relate to a family which does not sell dinner to the children. That's I agree. Relatable. I yeah. agree. I agree, but I'm just saying that, I mean, they've lived most of their lives uh, in, in a monetary society. <clears throat> and I, I think if tomorrow, if you're in, to introduce something like that, I, I, I don't think they would accept it. I, 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 I'm just saying that there has to, there has to be some sort of... Uh, I, think, I think the idea that they wouldn't accept it, uh, uh, Nick, might be... The idea that they wouldn't accept it, I think, comes from, again, and this is one thing that I agree with John on, is the misinformation that we have about who, who, what our population really believes. A lot of times our masters give us deliberately misinformation about what the mass of the population actually can accept and can actually believe. So we operate on those principles as if somehow our masters are giving us decent information. It's just like, for example, this notion that, and I'm going to get back to this real briefly because earlier you said something about how politicians don't have any power. You know where that notion comes from? That notion comes from the idea that we think that some of these politicians, because of their rhetoric, we think that they somehow want to do something noble when in fact these are carefully vetted politicians who really don't ha want to do what they say they want to do. So because we assume they're a little bit nicer than, 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 than what they seem to be able to do, we assume they don't have any power when they get in there. That's, that's not true at all. They have, they have a limit. But what happened to JFK, though? Didn't J I mean, JFK... Well, JFK he was, he was not, trying to implement changes, was he not? And then he got assassinated. No, well, JFK was not the was not the uh, ethically ideal person people think. The only thing that happened with the uh, Kennedy brothers is, as they were in office, something unusual happened in a sense that they evolved to some extent. They evolved their sense of humanity a little bit, and that's about it. It wasn't a major change, but they did become. They, they did start evolving as human beings after they got into power. But if you're talking about people that, that, that really reached the level of humanity and ethics that many other people in, in, in lower positions already have, those guys didn't even come close. The, the, the thing about Kennedy is, I, I think, yeah, he was just a regular capitalist politician until the... the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, and then what changes? I think he developed a real fear of thermonuclear war breaking out. He decided to uh, to work initially secretly with Nikita Khrushchev. They were in secret communication to end the Cold War, and then this was discovered by Alan Dulles and the and, you know the, the the billionaire class, their operatives, and Kennedy was viewed as literally as a traitor to his class, literally. And, and, and that's why they killed him. Uh, you know, so the, it, it's clear that every politician since Kennedy knows very well that if they did anything in disagreement with, with the ruling class as fundamental as, as, you know, opposing the Cold War, 
was back then, uh, they'd be killed or or eliminated right. from power. But that's what I'm trying to say. So, what I'm trying to say so, is that there there are some politicians that have good intentions. Well, but they so know means, they know darn well that they can't implement those good intentions because they know that they'll be. I'm not saying they're going to be assassinated, but they, by the way, they won't I have think, a job. But I think saying politicians have good intentions. I think you're reaching not all, a, not all, but I, I would say some. I, think, I would I say think, some. Yeah, there might be some, but the numbers are ex, 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 very small, and even the ones yes. with, even the ones with good intentions are really, in terms of their values, they're really very unevolved individuals still. They're not, nothing like what we have here, even between the three of us. Yeah, they, these politicians know that there are lines they are not allowed to cross. One line, for example, yes. is to explain to the public that Zionism is an attack not only on Palestinians, but on ordinary Jews. It's a form of Orwellian social control. The, the ethnic cleansing is to produce a boogeyman enemy, the, the Palestinians and Muslims, to make it possible for the billionaires in Israel to control the ordinary Jews and to create a, 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 an enemy for the American billionaires to, to, to point to in the Orwellian war on terror and so forth. That's a very simple fact. It's simple and 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 it's not hard to understand. I've explained it to people, and they get it very quickly. No, not a single, quote, serious politician in the United States dares to express this fact. Not a single one. Well, except for Ilan uh, Omar. No, she doesn't either. She, no. <laughs> she, fra- she framed it. She framed it as some uh-huh. politicians being mysteriously controllable by Israel, not loyal to the United States, but loyal to Israel. That's just bullshit. Okay. She never came close to pointing out that it is the American ruling class, who are mostly not Jewish, who have a evil but very rational reason for supporting Israel's ethnic cleansing. It has nothing to do with, with Jews in Israel having some mysterious control over American politicians, which is what she was basically implying was going on. You know, the Benjamins she was talking about were the Benjamins of the Jews in APAC, not the Benjamins of, of Bill Gates and, War, and Warren Buffett and the Rockefellers and the Mellons and all those people. So she, she knows there's a line that she dares not cross. Now, maybe but just like every other poli- but every politician has that same line. They cannot cross it. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, well, you know, some people might say, "Well, I'll do the best I can without crossing the line." But, but, right. but so what? So what? You know, that that means that they they're not doing what well. Well, I'm not trying to justify. I'm, look, I'm not trying to put these guys on a pedestal. Believe me, I, I listen. I've I have voted in years, and I and I will not vote. Um, because I know these guys will never come through with their promises, and I know they're just that, they're just promises. And that's why I, I'm, uh, I'm saying that we, in order to change a system, we can't do it within, and, and both you guys obviously agree. By the way, these, um, people, these people that move up the ranks, they move up the ranks. While they're moving up the ranks and while they're getting financial support, their supporters are paying very much attention to the fact that their ethics are compromised all the way from the lowest position that they held to the positions as they move up, and they, they recognize their, their compromised positions, and they also like it if their rhetoric is so good that they appear to be uh, ethical people, but at the same time, these people have already watched their behavior as they moved up, 
and decided to continue to give them money. This is why whenever people say, well, there's, there's these people, the decent politicians, a decent politician is rare as hell. I mean, it is, so, it is much more rare than we, than we communicate on a regular basis. We've got to say it. They're, 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 they just almost don't exist. It's almost like trying to find a good cop. No, you're right. You're right about that. And I think maybe a few are, might, might be naive, maybe. Yeah, very, yeah they, uh, might, they, I, they I, might be I, naive. I would go that far because they can play that role pretty good, too. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, and then once they once the money starts flowing in from the um, from the lobbyists, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, those good intentions are out the window, yeah. for sure. I, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. It's like the the famous saying by Upton Sinclair. I think that uh, it's very hard to convince a man not to believe an idea that he's being paid money to believe. That's right. <laughs> very good. That's right. Well, I, I, look. I, uh, there, it, it doesn't seem to be working. I mean, even, even though, you know, we've tried to convince people, and, and I, I know Hyamal's probably gone to a lot of arguments, so have I, that these politicians, they cannot help you. They, they cannot change um, for society because they, 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 they can't. And they Some, actually, most, don't, most do not want to, and they just go through the charade yeah. and the lip service because they know that they're going to get a lot of money for doing that job, so they just pretend like they're going to help the public, but they know they fully know well they they cannot, and, and they don't even yeah. want to. Because remember, these people have already moved up the ranks, so the, the the people that pay them money already know they don't want to. That's right, because it's going to affect them if 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 they if they do right. Yeah, and they don't they don't they're ambitious for themselves. They that's that's their main goal is to be ambitious for themselves and to wield power. You try to walk into one of their offices and see if your suggestions are anything but a suggestion they can throw right out the window. I've talked to many politicians and I can tell you they treat your suggestions like they're almost nothing. Well, they just totally ignore you. Yeah, exactly. And to me that, that, that there's no way that that a person can say, oh, well, that person's not so bad. Oh, I'm sorry, that that that's really bad already. Right, and uh, again, it, it, this is uh, something. Hope, hopefully, a lot of people can can hear and listen, and maybe they're going to get the message that again, this trying to change things with the current political system in place is just not going to work. So, I'm sorry for you people that that believe in Bernie Sanders and, and, and think that this guy is actually going to uh, change things, he, he won't. And he's been doing this for a long time, right, Haimo? Yeah, and he's been doing a lot of, yeah, I mean, since the 80s, he was already working for the Democratic Party to prevent the rise of a third party in, in Vermont. And, and um, since the 90s, he was supporting the Clintons and all of their uh, political agenda. So it's like, come on. You and know, don't forget what the Clintons did. Don't don't forget what Bill did and Hillary. Oh yeah, of course. Right. Some people have right. well, they seem to have short memories anyway. So, yeah. go ahead, John. The, the in my reading about the the Spanish Civil War, which should really be called the Spanish Revolution, 1936 to nine, in the years before the the anarchists uh, overthrew the, the capitalist power in about half of Spain. There was a, a a parliament with elections, like you know, liberal politicians running for office and so forth. And 
they were all, you know, pro-capitalist politicians. But the interesting thing that, that struck me is that the, the more powerful the anarchist movement was getting, and it got very powerful, the, the two the, the two largest unions were calling strikes like, you know, all the time and political strikes, not just for, you know, wages, but, you know, in solidarity with things happening around the world and stuff like that. And they were huge. Uh, the, the larger the anarchist movement got, the more radical and even revolutionary was became the rhetoric of these pro-capitalist politicians. It had to to, their, their rhetoric had to become revolutionary in order for them to keep any credibility. And I think we're seeing that in the United States. The, the, the American population, as indicated by Occupy Now, is keenly aware that the 1% rules over us with economic inequality that's unjust. They're keenly aware of that. Even though the ruling class tried to keep that totally off the agenda up until 2011 when Occupy forced it onto the agenda. And now that it's on the agenda, well, all these pro-capitalist magazines and pundits, you know, are talking about it because they have to talk about it to maintain any credibility whatsoever. And so that's why you have politicians like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. You know, the ruling class needs to have a coterie of politicians that, that are able to keep the, the most disaffected Americans uh, within the the umbrella of of thinking that the, you know it's still possible to get what they want by working you know by voting for a politician. Uh, so the ruling class is going to have increasingly revolutionary sounding politicians uh, because the public is becoming increasingly revolutionary. See that as well said, John. Yeah, you, you, you nailed Thank it. You. you nailed it right there. You nailed it. Okay, guys, so um, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any last last words. Yeah, the only thing that I had, had to say was um, I, I thought it was strange that, um, you know, that that there are some people still calling for, you know, that, that are whether they're – I think it's the, the – there's one particular group on Facebook that's American Yellow Vest. They're calling for no no violence under any circumstance or whatever stuff like this, and uh, and and that concerns me because it basically we all know that without the threat of violence, North Korea would have been attacked, and there would have been more violence. Without the threat of uh, Russia and Venezuela. Venezuela might already be under a, a, a siege, um, and um, without uh, the, the government realizing that that um, the population really could take control over their police and uh, police stations and military bases and so forth, without them feeling like that potential is there, that, guess what? They're going to blow. You, they're going to blow us all off. And I'm not saying that we should try to push for being deliberately violent. I'm saying that without the tactical component of the potential for violence, we actually lose leverage. Um, and I think that's uh, a, a, a foolish route to go. And, and like I said, 
I'm talking about minimizing violence because you're going to have greater violence against the people if you don't show that the people are capable of protecting themselves and capable of actually taking a, a physical stand. Then people actually are going to get are going to get more are they going to get slaughtered uh, because the ruling class is not going to take it lying down. Yeah, I agree. That Allende in Chile, you know, was he was a Marxist and various problems there, but he was basically represented a popular movement that wanted you know progressive pro working class reforms, and he got elected. But he had no plan whatsoever to uh, to mobilize the population in an armed defense of itself against the counterattack. And so the ruling class, with you know the American CIA and the Chilean ruling class, had General Pinochet come down violently and just started murdering people to destroy the uh, the, the you know Allende's. Uh, uh, government they killed Allende and lots and lots of other people and they were able to do it because Allende had no plans to defend against it so we should learn from that mistake yes without, without, without a strategic without a strategic strong stand of potential violence so that doesn't mean we should be recklessly or excessively violent or anything but without that show of strength we will not we, we, we will not be taken seriously, and we'll only get to a certain point before we're shut down. Yeah. And I wish that wasn't true because I really don't like violence of any sort. But I also realize sometimes when you try to avoid it, you'll get more violence than you bargained for. Okay, guys. Well, I, I again thank you for doing this. Nick, thank, thank you, you very much, and I appreciate the talk. John, thank you. Uh, uh, you know, I always, I always feel like, uh, you know, these these talks. I, I think they help other people to think it through for themselves, even if they don't arrive at exactly how we think about it. But anything that any discussion that helps other people, you know, internalize a dialogue. If they don't, sometimes not everybody has a good uh, friend. Like John said, he used to have a very good friend that he used to speak with for hours. And I've had people that I've spoken with, including John, that I've spoken with. And it helps to us to evolve our thinking when we have intelligent people who, are, who really want positive change to talk to. But some people don't have that. So it helps for them to hear dialogue between different people that are trying to do their best. Absolutely. Well, that's... Well, that's the whole point of this conversation, and, and I mean, you two gentlemen are, are so well-versed and very experienced and have a lot of knowledge, and again, you guys offer a lot, uh, a lot for the public uh, to uh, to consume, so well, we uh, again, want, uh, I, think I, we, I thank I both think, of you guys uh, for doing this. I think we really want, I think, um, like you, Nick, and myself, and John, I think we're really serious about, we, we don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to be voices for a change that never comes. I think we really are serious about seeing that the world really does evolve. And I think we'd like to, uh, that we'd like to see it happen soon enough so that we live to see some of it, or at least a good portion of it. Um, 
you know, I, 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 and I think we, we'd like to see it, but even if we don't see it, we, we, we definitely want assurances that it's going to happen because I don't think any one of us likes to see right now the human animal is probably one of them, except for animals that are being kept by humans, you know, in uh, slaughterhouses and other places. The human species is one of the most enslaved creatures on the planet. You're every, every day, what people have to go to to live, go through to live, is nothing like the freedom that most other wild species have. Other wild species really have a life. Human beings are very enslaved, except for a few very rich ones. <laughs> well, things are... You know what? Things are changing. Uh, there's a lot of negativity going on in the world. A lot of people are are stressed out. Uh, a lot of people are are looking for answers. And again, you two gentlemen supply a lot of those uh, those answers. So, I think that change is coming soon. I don't know how soon, but I think within the next maybe five to ten years, I think things are really going to change for the better. Um, I mean, I hope so, but I, I'm thinking it will because I don't think people want to live. I think people want to keep going through the motions. Of, I mean, there's no purpose to this life, to be quite honest with you. No. And I think people are, uh, they have a real hunger to change that. So again, guys, thank you for doing this.